Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast, it is Thursday, October 1st. The Lakers are up 1-0 in the finals over the Heat. And just before we dug in here, BJ... The, the man I still call coach, the man who still to me is everything about Celtic pride, winning a championship there in 2008, has now signed with the Philadelphia 76ers to be their next head coach. What do you make of Doc Rivers' exit from the Clippers and immediately Philadelphia, as much as they've screwed things up the last couple of years, this is a heck of a move for the Sixers. What are your immediate thoughts and reaction? Well, I'm torn, and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little um, – and I, a, lot of, a lot of things get me emotionally involved, but I, I was a little torn when Doc Rivers was fired from the, the Clippers. And because I always, you know, try to – look at the game objectively and really, you know, I, I, I think from a, a unique standpoint is like, you know, working in the league for so many years is to try to see the game from many different perspectives. From the Clippers perspective, firing Doc Rivers, I, I, I didn't quite understand the move. I don't, I don't understand it at all. And, and this is no criticism but I, I truly didn't understand the move, right? Um, Doc Rivers is, I think he's a, a Hall of Famer as a coach. I think he is, he's earned the right to have the opportunity to, to coach and what he's done there and his, in, his integrity, what he's done for the game itself. And that franchise. Done. And this friend, I, 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 it, did, it, it just didn't sit well with me on a lot of different levels. And I, and I'm the first to say, you know, hey, coaches are going to get fired, players are going to get traded, and this is the business. But certain things, certain things, and this is one of them, just didn't sit right with me at all. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I was rooting for Doc, and I have a relationship with Doc, and I, I hope. Because this is very quickly that this was the move for him, not that he made a decision on an emotional level. You know, what mm -hmm. has it only been like three or four days? And he's already back in the coaching seat. So clearly he still have the desire to coach and wants to coach. But this just seems very quickly for me, you know, moving forward. Because when you coach, you know, it's, you know, it, it, your heart has to be there. And not to say that, you know, that's not the case here with him going to Philly. It's just, this just came together so quickly. 
yeah. for them with this franchise, with this team, with their personnel and what they have. So um, I think it's a great hire for Philly because of who Doc is. But things just happen so quickly. And maybe they knew what they had. Maybe they said, hey, we can't pass up an opportunity of whatever's going on to have a Doc represent. And, and yeah. I hope Doc, maybe that's how Doc feels. I don't know. I, 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 I don't dare to even guess. But I, I just, and you asked me that question, it just didn't sit well with me with the Clippers. Um, but I'm wishing the best for Doc. I think it's a great hire. Um, but I always look at the players. I always look at the talent. And I look at their two best players. I look at Ben Simmons, who is, without question, he's a top 10 talent. Without question. Joel Embiid, he's a top 10 talent. But no one yet has been able to get those two to play at the the level that we all, you know, placed upon them. And now now it falls in the you know on the shoulders of Doc Rivers. And if anyone can do it, I I, I know he's more than capable. So I'm rooting for him, and um, I just hope that you know when you look at this roster and you look at you know what they've done, they've certainly underachieved thus far. The Sixers. And hopefully they'll get it together. Hopefully Doc will put it together and put the right pieces in place because clearly they have the talent to do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the last two years, the the Sixers have been a drastically different team when you have Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid compared to last season where they're gone and, you know, Al Horford in, Josh Richardson in. And uh, obviously that combination does not work. And then you've got Tobias Harris there as well, who we know is a very talented player, but he's also comes with a, a hefty contract. So they're, um, they're in a rough spot with how do they upgrade their roster or make the necessary moves to help uh, Simmons and Embiid excel. Obviously Doc's been in a lot of unique situations before. Uh, Orlando, Boston, L.A., and now Philly. Um, It's interesting, BJ. Yesterday, uh, we recorded with um, J.J. Redick on All the Smoke, and he was talking about the Philly experience, and him and Matt Barnes were talking about their experience with the Clippers and losing that 2015 series to Houston up 3-1 and then reacting to the Doc News. And they were a bit surprised and you, you know, you read all the criticisms and the commentary and his playoff record and blowing 3-1 leads. And, you know, is it Doc's fault that Kawhi Leonard was one for 11 from the floor in the fourth quarter of game seven against Denver or that Paul George was one for seven? Like, I mean, you tell me, like, the game starts... Coaches can only do so much. The guys have to perform. And I always felt like and this has nothing to do with my bias to the Celtics, but I always knew that Doc Rivers was going to have his guys ready to play. Whether or not that ended up in a win, well, that's why you play the game on the floor. But his guys were always ready to play. So um, combine that with what you said, getting the Clippers through the, Do- the Donald Sterling moment in time and then continuing to, you know, they became a, a destination. They became a place where big free agents would go. And, uh, you know, now, as we know, building a new arena and and creating their own identity in L.A., this this timing with the veteran roster to me 
uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And to your point about it happening right away, um, I think Doc's only had one year off in the last 20 years. I think he's coached every year. And I just, you know, I just hope he doesn't get to a point where he feels like he's entering burnout mode because, uh, as we know, Philadelphia and the expectations there and comes with it, um, that's not the same as uh, some other markets in the league. So he, he obviously went through it in Boston. He went through it in L.A. Um, you know, I can make all the jokes in the world about the Sixers and the, and the, and the Celtics' historic rivalry, yeah. but, you know, you want to see what's best for Doc. And you know, you know, you know Darkus has been it's been interesting. You know, Darkus really had an interesting career because we talk about three one. Look, you know, I, I think this is probably the X player in me. Yeah, and when I've been on good teams, and when I've I've been on bad teams, all right, why were they bad? I always look at myself and go, you know what? <laughs> That's where I was at as a player. I was on that team, <laughs> right? You know, like. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's easy for me to say, oh, you're, I've been you're, on, you're there. You're there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been on bad teams. But where was I at in my career at that particular time? Right? right. Later in my career, you know, it's hard to say, but I wasn't the same player later in my career that I was earlier in my career. You know, did I have moments? Yeah, I had a, you know, I had a quarter here, maybe a game there, a week here, but it wasn't the consistency that I had earlier in my career. And, but when you are on a good team, when you are on a great team, one thing that I've learned is that those players in that locker room and that put that uniform on, I ain't worried about the coaches. I just didn't. I, I, I really didn't. I, I can remember running out of the locker room and the coaches would always say this. I had a coach who would always say this. He was like, men. You can't win the game in the locker room. <laughs> and there you have it. And I took, I always took that to heart. Like it was kind of like, okay, guys, there's nothing going to happen in this locker room. Yeah. We could talk about the gate, great game plans. We could talk about strategy. Give, give the speech, you know, really All give the, the speech. We could walk out of there with the greatest speech. The game can't be won in the locker room. And I took that to heart. When and when I was on good teams, I didn't care what the game plan was, just to be honest with you. I really didn't. Because every great player and every great person or teammate who's played on a great team understands what I'm saying. I got to find a way to win that game. I got to find a way. I have to find a way. I don't know what's going to happen during that game. But what I do know is that every scenario that I could potentially see that I felt prepared for. And it is my job to figure out how to win that game. Yeah, Phil Jackson may have wanted to substitute me at the seven-minute mark. But you know what? That's not a good matchup versus Magic Johnson because Magic Johnson just scored 10 straight points. So are you going to coach your game plan or are you going to coach the game? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the game is going to, what's going to happen. So react to the game. You, you and, and that's what I learned as a player. Like 
you, you have to take some responsibility. And I, the reason I'm saying this is it's easy to point the finger and say, Doc, that's the easy thing. Oh, Doc was up 3-1. I, I played against Doc Rivers when he used to could make baskets. He hasn't made a basket since <laughs> Lord knows how long, you know, same as me. Like, But what I do know is that he had a game plan that if executed, it could have worked because they were up in every single game that they played in. They were up. Yep. So clearly they had the game plan. Clearly something was there. But the most difficult part is you got to go out and execute it. I've seen great game plans and I've lost by 30. I've seen some game plans that I was yeah. like, eh, I don't know if that'll work. And, they, and, there was and a we damn go good, out and win by 20. I've seen a, a damn good plan. team on the other side too. I've played for Hall of Fame side. coaches, Eric, and I've seen this. I've seen coaches go up and we've had a whole board full of play calls and all us. I had a coach go up one time, wipe the whole board clear and said, we're going to run one play. And whatever play, whoever has it going on the offensive end, we're going to go to that guy. I've never played so hard in my life, Eric, to be hot. <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric, oh, that's great. That's Eric, great. and I was a veteran then. Eric, I never went in warm ups and wor- Eric, I just w- prayed that I was hot that night because the coach told me you got that you got that the, lather in the pregame. You got the, it going, man. Eric, it was like one of those nights where you know, oh man, you know, another game. It might have been the fourth game in five nights. He said, "Whoever is hot, that's how we. That's what we going through. This don't mean nothing." Eric, that was the best warm-up I've ever had in my 11 years in the NBA. Every player on the team felt the same way. They was like, man, if I get hot, coach is just going to come to me. And we played defense. Eric, we won this game by 30 points. And after the game, he was like, it's not about these plays, guys. It's about doing what you got to do to get your guys to play hard. And you guys played hard, and that's all I can ask. And yep. Eric, it was like one of those games, Eric. What I'm telling you, I I I I was so fired up for that for that game because I just wanted to be hot. I wanted to know. I just wanted him to call my play. <laughs> Did you get hot? I was semi hot. You know, to get hot, you got to make three in a row. I made two in a row that game. But I never okay. got three in a row. So are you gonna make me like search the the I can't no, I can't because I would okay, tell so, you who. All right, well, 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 I'll figure it out. But here was it was it was after this game. What after after Chicago? After Chicago. After Chicago. Okay. And I'll never forget. We're in the locker room, and Coach says, "Hey, whoever gets hot, that's who we're going with." So our offense was, you guys got to figure out how to play. But I'm just going to go to the guy who gets hot. Were you at home or on the road? I, I can't. I, I can't. I can't, I can't <laughs> say. But I will say this though, Eric. I, I, I can't say this. It was one of the most unselfish games we ever played in. Because whatever the combination that was on the floor was going to stay on the floor too. Hmm. So if you found something that worked. Yep. We worked, and we found this play that worked. I, and I, I remember the play. We found a matchup that worked. 
It, it, it was it, it was like it was one of the more amazing things because you know you come to the bench and you're like man god nothing is working tonight we were all determined to figure out what was going to work and i remember we found this play that worked and it was by total accident he said he wasn't going to call any plays so the team found a play that worked and the amazing thing about it eric was we found a matchup that worked and when we found the matchup the coaches knew it all the players knew it and the five guys were on the floor were happy and i i just happened to be on the floor at this particular time i can't wait to try to hunt this down and, I can't and wait. we found a play I can't wait. and, and well, you know what's funny though is we found the play that worked only against one player and what's the play our, I, what's the play I, I i can't tell you the play it was oh, a play but it, 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 and the the ball always reached this certain player <laughs> and Eric, it, it was the greatest 48 minute game. It was what it's one of my top five games okay. because Eric, it was complete freestyle. And yep. we played so unselfish because everyone was hoping that this player would guard them. <laughs> and when I tell you, when I tell you, Eric, it was, it was like at the highest level because everyone was working in unison to make sure that the Love ball it. got to the, and it, it, it was, no, seriously, players are amazing because players know, they just know. And I don't know how, Eric, we didn't have no instruction. All we had was one instruction. Like, I'm going to find out who's hot. And out of respect to the other 11 guys that you're looking around, you're going, okay, somebody's going to get hot tonight. I wish I could have just take the, I, I wish I could have had the film of the warm up. Because everyone was working on their game <laughs> in the world. There, 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 there is a there is a regional sports network somewhere that, that has, has the film. warm up uh, of that game. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. So you know, good so luck. On, you got eleven years. My, you got yeah. eleven years. You don't know if it's home or away. But well, it's, it's, it's there, after. Though. It's 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 after Chicago. That yeah, I it's in there so, somewhere. It's yeah, in there somewhere. Somewhere. All right. So let's pivot to uh, let's pivot to the NBA Finals and. Uh, We've got a special guest, BJ, our guest today, Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times. She is having an interesting bubble experience. And uh, instead of me babbling on, let's welcome Tanya to the Pure Hoops podcast. Tanya, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So paint the picture for us before we get into uh, the Lakers being up 1-0 in the finals and what this has been like from the basketball side. Uh, what's your bubble experience been like and, and where are you right now? Uh, I was in the bubble for two months. I got there July 12th, um, right after the teams did. And then I was in there for two months. Um, you know, I I did the seating games. I did the lead up, the little like mini training camp they had. I was there for the uh, work stoppage when they decided to protest um, after the Jacob Blake shooting. Um, I was there for the first round and part of the second round, and then I got to go home for a little bit and that was nice. And I got to eat things that weren't bubble food. And that was also <laughs> exciting. I didn't have security staring at me everywhere I went. Um, you know, I would have been fine. Continue. I would have liked maybe to continue getting tested for COVID every day. That was a, a bonus that we had in the bubble, but, um, it, you know, it's, there's, there was positive. Also, also, when I got back to LA, LA was, you know, the neighborhood, it was covered in smoke. So it was a very surreal experience heading home at that point. Um, and you really couldn't, you, even though you were 
in in the outside world like so many things are closed right now so it's been a very weird summer as you guys i'm sure also could attest to um and then i came back i i came back to orlando a couple of days ago so i'm back in orlando i'm not inside the bubble now i'm in the second tier where the owners are and the um some some reporters and i can go to games which i wanted to do for the finals you know and and and, and looking at the experience from a basketball perspective i mean it's been interesting fascinating to watch knowing what the nba was prior to COVID. what was the thing that you experienced being in the bubble from a human perspective like what was the one thing that you said like was so extraordinary just being in the bubble and covering the teams and and seeing it because everyone is dealing with it whether you are a basketball player in this case, you're reporting and, and covering the teams. What was the human perspective that was a shared experience from everyone that's been in this in this bubble? Yeah, uh, BJ, I think you said it. It's a shared is there was this like very strange shared experience that as a reporter, you don't always have. Um, you know, I think there are some times when it does feel like, you, you know, like as you're on the same travel schedule, kind of, as the teams that you cover. You're, you know, you're staying in the same cities. It's, there are, big, there are a lot of differences. But what happened in the bubble is like everybody was, I mean, we were in the same resort that the top eight teams were in. And so it just was this like crazy experience of, of you know, the night that the Jazz got eliminated. like the place that that the reporters go to unwind after a game is the same place that the I mean the players all walk by you like you'll you know and it's like this like oh what are you gonna do when you leave like oh have fun you know nice like like it's like this kind of interaction that I think used to happen a lot more in our profession and when players and reporters got to know each other a little better and and had that kind of human connection more um and you know like they're not even just from a reporter standpoint like you could be if you're a coach who got a technical and by by some ref that you were really mad at like you could see him the next day at the bar or like having dinner like you're just going to run into these people all the time um there was like a really sweet scene that danny green described i keep bringing up the jazz and nuggets because i think that was like right right about when i left but he described the scene of Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, like after the game, after game seven, together in like a hotel bar, just chatting and showing their respect for each other. Like, you know, I, I mean, I know people have mixed feelings about that kind of thing between players that are opponents, but like, that's the kind of environment that you just wouldn't have um, anywhere else. There's when there's eight teams all together, living together for two months, three months almost definitely a, a unique environment and culture. And, and I think it's going to create a lot of bonds for the long term, whether it's, you know, people from the, the media side and the basketball side, and obviously players that never would have been able to interact in, in that manner uh, as well. So as far as on the court goes, obviously Lakers and heat underway, Lakers take a commanding uh, lead in game one. Uh, as BJ knows, I was hoping for a Lakers Celtics finals, but here we are. And, um, you know, before we get to anything Miami related, uh, LeBron James always grounds himself in the moment. And, um, it's crazy. He's two and eight in finals game in game two and eight in finals game ones, excuse me. And game one, obviously, uh, Lakers cruise to a win. Um, 
what what mindset did you get from LeBron with post game commentary, his body language, things he said? Uh, how is he treating this as the Lakers now clearly uh, with more than just a, a lead one zero, but obviously with the Miami injuries and how well the Lakers are playing, it seems like a whole lot more. I think he's he feels how close he is, and he's just very like he does not want to screw this up. Like I, that's the sense that I get from him that he's, you know, like there were times during the game when his he felt like his teammates were celebrating too much too soon. Um, he was very much we still did a lot of things wrong. There's still a lot of things to fix, you know, not a mode of, not like an, an attitude of celebration right now. Um, and part of it, he kept, he's like, he remembers all these times that he failed in the finals, right? Like the first finals, he was talking about that today when, when uh, the Cavs got swept. Um, and he learns from each of those, but also he hates, he ha remembers hating that feeling. Um, he brought up, Last night, he brought up the game two of the 2011 finals when he uh, he said that the game, there was a moment when they were up by like 17 points or something like that. And, and they thought that this was it. And then all of a sudden they lose the game and then eventually they lose the series. And he just, he, he just knows like how quickly momentum can change. And even though it's a little, I mean, like you look at what's happening in the series right now, Miami has those two huge injuries and, you know, they just got beat up so badly by the Lakers last night, just in general. Um, it's a little hard to, to buy into the idea that they are, that, you know, the Lakers are in any kind of danger here, but I think LeBron just doesn't want to take any chances. You know, when you, when you look at the, what LeBron James has achieved and the narrative have always been LeBron James and the Lakers. But I just want to pivot a little bit to Jeannie Buss. This has been a long road for her and moving, taking over, you know, ownership and all of those things. What do you think if the Lakers are to win the finals this year and win the championship, what do you think it would mean to Jeannie Buss and what she's done. I mean, we we know with the bus family, but this clearly now she is the person in charge. What do you think a, a championship would mean to her at this particular time? It would. I mean, it's it would be huge for her. Um, you know, she likes to deflect and talk about, oh no, it's not about me. It's about the players. But I I think that if she's you know de like this is this is very important to her. I started covering the team in 2016 and that was like right in the middle of this playoff drought that they had. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard for her even at that point when I think it was only 3 years old the playoff drought and then they and then they they went 3 more years without making the playoffs. Um that like that had never happened before. <laughs> she had never experienced that before and it felt to her it was very personal because it was about what her dad wanted for that franchise. Um, you know, that was one of the first, the first conversation I ever had with Jeannie Buss, that's what she told me. She said, I, she said, I want this team to be what my dad wanted for it, which is a great basketball team. And they were not anywhere close to that at that point. That was 2016, that was like September of 2016. Um, so to have been through everything that the franchise has been through for the past four years, um, you know, the drama with her brothers, the right. um, you know the the hiring magic him abruptly resigning you know the there was so much talk about the dysfunction that they had and then 
on a personal level, it's been a really hard year for her. She had her mom die. Um, then her good friend Kobe Bryant died. And it's, you know, David Stern, she was also very close with. Um, I think it's just been an emotionally trying time um, this year and several years before this. And I think that it would mean a lot to her um, to for the Lakers to win the championship this year. Wow, it's been a long year. Um, I, I I can't imagine from her perspective, and it's it's crazy to think about the different eras of basketball that we've either all watched or participated in, and the Lakers were out of the playoffs for for that long of a time. Uh, you know, speaking of championship windows, obviously it's it's right here right now for the Lakers. LeBron's got one more year uh, on the deal, an option for twenty one twenty two. He's 4,146 points behind Kareem. Um, what you've seen, what you've observed, what you hear, uh, how long do you think LeBron James is playing NBA basketball? I feel like he thinks he's got a while left. <laughs> Please define a while. I need to know what a while. I mean, he's in year 17. I, it, it, time doesn't uh, affect him like the rest of us. What does that mean, a while? <laughs> I I just I don't I just feel like at least four more years. I, oh my gosh! I, like that I it, I don't I'm not saying I think that's I don't know. I mean, who knows? But I just feel like he thinks he's got that in him and. You know, I mean, he would never want to publicly talk about like playing with his son, but there's a oh, time yeah. there, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, let's do the let's do the math too. He he turns he turns forty in his birthday's dis, late December. Uh, and he was born in eighty in eighty four. So twenty twenty four, he turns forty. I, I that that's got to be a target for him, right? Crazy to think about 40 at that level, at that level, just casually getting triple doubles at 40 with, with eight, with AD, with AD in his prime and his son on the wing. I do, wonder, I do wonder, like, is he the, cause I feel like there are two different kinds of people when it comes to that conversation. It's like, there are some people who wouldn't want to play if they weren't still the best. Right. And then, I don't know. I, I wonder if he, I wonder if that would, fa I mean, if that would factor in for him eventually. You know, Tony, it, it seemed like there is, there's a, a huge chemistry that has developed between LeBron and AD. AD is coming up here with his contract here shortly. What do you think the mindset right now of Anthony Davis moving forward do you see him making a long-term commitment to the Lakers? Do you see him exploring free agency? I mean, if they win a championship and you look at, let's say LeBron is able to play two or three more years, I mean, do we dare enter or start saying this could be a potential dynasty in the making? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that – I don't think that AD I, – I don't think that that AD is – going to go anywhere. I mean, I think he's really in a place that he enjoys. Um, the relationship with LeBron is so good. Uh, today, they were talking about how LeBron, the, the jealousy aspect that LeBron said just doesn't exist between the two of them. And you, you can, that's so, that's very genuine. Like you can see that. And it, it's clear that that's a big part of why their personalities fit so well together.
together that like 80, 80 doesn't get upset if the, if it's, if like there's a perception that LeBron is, is, is sort of the big brother role because that's how he sees it. He see he sees this guy who's won championships and been to 10 finals and, and has done things that he hasn't done that he wants to do. And so that, I think that's a big part of why their relationship works. Um, and I think he's happy there. Like, I think that this LeBron has been able to give AD, um, LeBron has been able to give AD the support and like the structure and the, just the, the, frame of reference to understand what it is to, to, to win on this level. And I think that's been, they've, they've really, they've really helped each other throughout this, um, throughout this time. And so I just, I couldn't, I, I mean, who knows what happens, but like, I do think that this is, they're going to, they're going to stay together as long as, as long as they can. Yeah. AD staying in the LeBron window and, and figuring out the contract is, is, at least from where I sit, a, a no-brainer, and then obviously the the commonalities who's of who's handling their business off the floor, uh, that aligns itself nicely too. So it's crazy. You think about like when LeBron landed with the Lakers, and obviously right away there was chatter. You know, where's Anthony Davis going to go? We know he wants out of New Orleans, but you know, looking at some of the other pieces that they added around them. If you told us two years ago that Danny Green, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, JaVel McGee were going to be part of this very reliable and veteran supporting cast and it was all going to work this well, um, I think we all could have gotten a, a good laugh out of it because it's quirky and you never saw some of these guys who always battled against each other coming together, but there's so much collective experience there. What has that experience brought to this team? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, Rondo's experience has been really important for them. Um, Danny Green, people talk about less, but he's been huge for them. Um, you know, his, you know, it's, I actually, when I was thinking about, you're seeing those guys that have championship championship experience be more important um, as the playoffs have gone on. I mean, when I first was thinking about their team, I was like, well, they they expect Kuz, Kyle Kuzma to be really critical to uh, to their championship run. He's never been in the playoffs. KCP is another guy who has played really well um, and who was really really important last night. But KCP doesn't have a, a long playoff history. Um, but then you look at the Rondo, who was not somebody that Rondo, who's somebody that's become a lot more important once they've gotten in, they've gotten to this point. Like that's where you see it be that much more critical. And I think like he's he's someone also that LeBron trusts, and that that I think the team trusts to sort of know what's going on all the time and to be able to settle everybody down. So it's, it's been, it's been big, but I mean, I think, you know, the two biggest factors, I, we can talk about the value of the veterans and all of that stuff, but the two biggest factors are obviously um, LeBron and AD. <laughs> For sure. And, and now, you know, when you look at it, if, you know, it's so difficult to win a championship and it's so difficult to, to, to get, you know, go make a deep playoff run. This season has been unusual to say the least. Where will you place the difficulty of what these young men and everyone that's been in this situation? Do you, you know, some has called for an asterisk by this. It's not a real championship. I happen to be from the, the, the school of, I think this is probably more impressive. Where do you stand with 
the champion, whoever will be called champion this year, where do you stand with in taking into consideration everything that, um, you know, this season has brought about and what's going on in the world? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't, it's, it's definitely different. I mean, it is, and it definitely is probably harder, but it is also different. So, I mean, I guess it just depends on what you, what you think deserves an asterisk. Like if it, if it's a, if, do you expect every championship? I mean, I guess from, okay. So if you think about it like this, like, are you, does, if you want to put an asterisk on something, does that mean that every championship was the same? Is that, is that what the assumption is for that? Because that's not true. Right. Um, so, you know, this, I mean, the fact that this particular playing in Orlando in a bubble for two and a half months, the fact that that has never happened before, I do think that makes it harder, but, you know, people also have brought up that every team went through that, you know, like every team and every team in the bubble had the same experience and, um, you know, some had, some had it harder than others for because of personal things happening. And that's also how life is. Um, so I, I mean, just getting through this season was the late, the, for the Lakers, it's like, it was, it, it, there wasn't a lot of drama interior in the interior, like from the inside, there wasn't very much drama, mm -hmm. but like, just had they just had so many things happening one after another um that you know i think that i one way or another this was like a hugely difficult season for them yeah and i just want to follow up here and you living out here in la and myself living out here in la and i'm always interested this is an la question so you know eric you know i just want you to just kind of listen in on this one the clippers what did this what did this mean what does this mean because for the first time, I felt that there was a real, like, little rivalry going here, you know? There was a, you know, the Clipper fans came out. What do you think this means if the Lakers win a championship, the Clippers losing in the fashion that they lost, what's happened here? What's going on with the with the Clippers? Like, what's going on in this L.A. divide between Clipper fans and obviously Laker Nation is, you know, uh, they're cemented. I mean, it's they're one of the storied franchises ever. Don't you feel like when the Clippers lost, I felt like there were some people who were like, oh, that's too bad. We don't get the LA LA series. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Laker fans were like gleeful and like a <laughs> mood, right? Of course they were. Like, they were it was like, ah, I told you. I told yeah. you. It was like a, yeah. I mean, I think like this, there's this like, I've heard this, I'm, I don't know if this is true or how it could be true or why it would be true. And sorry, it's getting at the sunset while I was talking to you guys. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why this would be true, but people insist that it's the Clippers as an organization don't know how to win, but it doesn't, what does that have to do with the players right now that are, that are completely new to this team and this organization? So I don't know, but I do think that LA was city of mostly Laker fans really enjoyed how the Clippers went out. Tanya, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck down there the rest of the way. This was great. Stay safe, excuse me, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, hopefully visit with you again soon when uh, we know what next season we'll bring in the league. Appreciate it. So, BJ, I, I, I mean, every day I still feel like we're living in, in the twilight zone in some ways, but, you know, this – you know, LeBron James trying to win a, a, a title with his 
third different franchise, obviously uh, quite a journey, but doing it under these circumstances and doing it <laughs> against the heat and against Riley, it's just, uh, I, I feel like I'm in a time warp as we, as we talk about these things and, and discuss them. Um, I know we've talked Riley before, but what's, what's the, what's the one thing that comes, uh, rushing back to your mind about, uh, your dealings with him? before I throw out some just incredible things from his, his basketball journey. Well, 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 the first thing is, is when you think about, you know, Pat Riley's career in the NBA, you know, he's a walking encyclopedia and he's seen every great player since 1970. And when you talk about information, and excellence and how the game has you know developed how the game has continued to grow pat riley has been there along with you know phil jackson for more or less has been there since 1970 you know they you know when i think of pat riley in particular i say well he won as a player he's won as a coach he's won as an executive He's probably been in, involved in more competitive environments than anyone else, probably maybe in the history of the game. He would, to me, Eric, that's a documentary. I just want to know what every great, he can give you a detail of every great player that has played since yeah, he's I've been. I've thought about it and it's just simply and titled Riley. I mean, just Riley, just the- is, yeah. In the 60s, he played in the NCAA championship for Kentucky. In the 70s, he won a title as a player with the Lakers. For those that don't know, Pat Riley was broadcasting at the beginning of the Magic Johnson era, and then all of a sudden he finds himself in an assistant coaching role and then takes over the Lakers in the 81-82 season, goes on to win four titles in the 80s with Showtime. He coaches the Knicks in the 90s, has them moments away from a title. Then he goes to Miami and builds the Heat franchise from an expansion team to now, I mean, it's 25 years in Miami. He's won two titles as team president. Um, I'm sorry, three titles overall as team president. One of those, a coach, and now back in the finals now with Spolstra and everything else brand new. I mean, that's seven decades of competing at this ultimately high level. And it's just, it's unbelievable to think about how he's been able to go from player to coach to, to coaching different styles, different greats, different coasts, the triangle of Los Angeles to New York to Miami, and then to build this quote-unquote heat culture and put this professional franchise not just on the map but really define uh their own excellence in south florida it's it's truly remarkable yeah he he really is and you know you talk about what he did as a player you talk about what he did as a coach but i think his crowning achievement is what he's done as an executive and to watch coach spo go from a video executive video coordinator to the head coach and watch and do this under the watch and eye of Pat Riley 
And to watch Coach Spo develop into, I think he's a Hall of Fame coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to watch him develop his own personality, develop into his own coach, running his own system. It's been beautiful to watch because, you know, having a mentor is of absolute necessity when you're talking about reaching excellence. And for him to come in as a young coach, have to coach Hall of Fame players, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, coaching under the scrutiny and the the, the the pressure of championship or bust and allowing and to watch Pat Riley do that. You know, it's very difficult. You know, we watched Phil Jackson try to accomplish the same thing in New York, which didn't turn out as well. But to watch Pat Riley do this and, you know, I think Mickey Arison and, and, and the ownership down there, they deserve credit as well. But it's been fascinating to watch. Uh, this level of sustained excellence for so many years. And um, it's, you know, every time I, you know, have an opportunity to speak with Coach Riley, it's always fun. And one of my fascinating things or one of my things I look forward to every year when I go to the the Chicago Combine is uh, Coach Riley and I, we, we always end up staying in the same hotel. And I always try to find out when he's working out for an hour or so, and I can get my hour, hour and a half with Coach Riley. So that's why nice. my you just you just have you just happen to yeah it's always great. And he just gives me it's like I just get jewels. I just get that's he great. just gives me jewels. So that's that's my Coach Riley story. We always kind of laugh about it because I'm like, when when are you coming to work out? And I just wait for him, and he's always kind mm-hmm. enough to let me interrupt his workout by I'm just asking him questions. So. Um, he's been great for the game and, um, you know, he's been terrific and, and what a career he's had. That's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good vehicle for, uh, a documentary scene. You guys just in there chopping it up, fly on the wall cameras and it's, uh, the workout with Riley. You get all the gems. He picks up his dumbbells, gives you that, gives you that game face look. I'm, no, he, I'm you know, sure he's like, I wish this guy would shut up. Yeah, he's like, not you again. I'm sure he's saying that. <laughs> you know, last week when we had, uh, and it's safe to say at this point, Ethan Skolnick is most definitely a Miami Heat historian and obviously gave us uh, great stuff. Um, you know, you think about Spolstra's first season uh, with uh, LeBron and Wade and Bosh, and they start nine and eight and, you know, they're having the pep rally and the celebration before the year. And then, you know, they struggle out of the gate because there were high expectations and all the hype. And, you know, Riley in the past, he he made a move where he fired Stan Van Gundy, he took the team over himself and led him to the title in 06 with a young Dwayne Wade and Shaq and that team. And I would love to know what his instincts were telling him about who Eric Spolstra could be in the long run as a head coach, because what he's developed into and and just how impressive he continues to be is is incredible. And let's let's make something clear: like this Spolstra respect thing has been going on for a while, but the fact now that they've made this improbable run uh, by many to the finals. He's getting a lot of that shine, but he's been doing a heck of a job, uh, especially since LeBron James uh, left after uh, 2014. So uh, 
Uh, that's something I would love to know. So the next time you're working out with Riley, uh, just get me on speakerphone or record the convo <laughs> or do whatever you got to do because I, I want to know what that thing was about that what? he saw. Not just the work ethic. You know Spo was a grinder. Anybody who's willing to work like that in the video room to get where they want to go, you know they've got work ethic. But what were those other intangibles? That's what I'm yeah. curious about. Well, you know? I, I mean, I could, I could take a good guess and, you know, and watching – I mean, you achieve a, a, a level of success and, you know, you've heard players say it and, and I, and I kind of learned it, you know, when you win a championship, you know, the difficult thing of repeating is that what you did last year, you find out it's not going to work the following year because everyone is catching up to the style of play or what you did last year to counter that. Right. These executives and these players, they, they learn very quickly. And I think it was, you know, Steve Kerr who said, it's not that we're getting worse as a team. It's just these teams around the league are improving and catching on to what we're doing and how we play. Small ball, right? And the reason I bring that up is the one thing about Coach Spo, which I think is fascinating in his journey, is there's no substitute for experience. And one of my greatest growth as a player and as an executive is having the ability to watch tape and watch and learn and not just watch because I played, not just watch because, you know, I'm, I have an, I have a title or a fancy title, but you have to watch and understand the game, watching, learning how to watch tape. When I learned how to watch tape, you know, I, I had a, a coach that I played for, Tex Winters. Uh, Tex Winters was the first coach who taught me specifically and technically how to watch game film. Not to watch what I did wrong, but to watch the concept of the game and understand the game itself. It was a fascinating journey for me because I would watch and be like, oh man, look at that guy. He, you know, that nice move or what have you. I began to truly understand the game. I truly began to understand sets. I truly began to understand uh, concepts. And being watching video gives you a significant advantage because you no longer watch the game from a fan's perspective. You're no longer emotionally attached to the game. You're mm -hmm. just watching technically and you're watching for the facts of the game. Pat Riley understands the game at an elite level that that's very clear when you have a conversation with him he never gives you his opinion you can have a two-hour conversation and he never gives you his opinion he'll tell you specifically why this guy is a great player he'll tell you exactly the system that's needed to win in this scenario and when i watch his teams and when i watch this team now pat riley is unquestionable he went from showtime to having one of the most physical teams ever when I played against that team in New York. Then he goes down there and coaches in Miami. He figures out how to integrate this young athletic player, Dwayne Wade, and then to watch Coach Spo do it in his own way, Pat Riley truly understands the game. He's not just saying, like so many coaches, like I thought it was interesting when Coach Jackson came I'm just not criticizing Coach Jackson, Phil Jackson, when he came to New York. 
but he was very persistent on the triangle offense as a mm-hmm. way to play. And now with now with that roster, it's it's just you have your beliefs. Pat Riley believes in one thing: winning. Now, there's a million ways to win. And he's, you've seen him adapt to all of these different styles, right? Whether he's had point guards, big guys, wing players, big threes, <laughs> draft. Yep. He's figured it out. So I think, you know, it's just a tribute to his true understanding of people, first of all, and the game itself. You know, he's not a coach. He's a true master. You know, he's a true master of the game. And um, every time I talk to him, I, 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 I come away with like, okay, I have to continue to grow because his, you know, when you speak with him, I mean, you're talking to literally, I mean, he's like, uh, we need to get this done, Eric. I mean, this is our project now. We have to get I, a documentary. I, it's it's, it's uh, playing in my mind. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, literally he, playing in my mind. I, the, I can only the, imagine. The, the he can talk about every player. Well, and and just the 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 differing eras of the style, what was going on in the business of the game, how you manage personnel, how you manage people, how you build bonds, what you learn from your mistakes. Uh, there's so much there. There's so yeah. much there. But but to go from, you know, to go from Kareem outlet to Magic to Worthy slam dunk to, uh, you know. Starks, Oakley, Ewing, <laughs> street fight. And obviously so many people over the years when they talk about Riley, they talk about that. That's the core of Pat Riley, that mentality, I mean, that, you know, Schenectady, upstate New York fighter competitor. He just wore that Showtime uh, persona. I mean, he's and, seen them all. I mean, he's, he's seen it all. He's seen, he's seen, it all. I mean, just, just seen the names he's seen. He's seen Pat. He's seen Pat Raleigh has seen Jerry West up close, Elgin Baylor, up Will close. Chamberlain, Will Chamberlain up close. He coached Kareem. Okay, he's coach coached Magic. Shaq. He's coached Magic. Worthy. He worked with like LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Patrick Ewing. I mean, just to name a yeah. few. He's seen every great player that has come through since 1970. His, I just want to hear who he thinks is the is yeah. perhaps the great. Now he well, to, to be two would the guy, have the authority. Two, two, he, he would have the authority to the like. His opinion oh, yeah. would matter. In that conversation, yeah. I mean, you've got two Bill of the guys over your, over your shoulders. Yeah, right. I mean, you've got you've got Wilton Kareem there, and, and and Russell out of frame. I mean, Riley's one of the guys that's seen it all, and he, I think, also can frame up—no pun intended—for your jerseys. But he can really frame up what defines the errors and and how right. you. You you know it's it's so hard and we've been through this so many times and then obviously everything around the last dance and the MJ LeBron talk and it's so hard to compare the players and the eras. It's a fun exercise. What 
you know, where I check out is when, you know, people are telling other people their opinions are wrong, which is crazy, but you've got to come to the table with the right information and the right stuff. And I can't imagine how Riley would lay all, all of this out. And then obviously, uh, you know, Riley being such a central figure in Lakers Celtics in the eighties is just the, the convo around that would be, would be mind blowing. And, and, how that impacts how the game has grown, evolved, and succeeding today is something too. So, I think we just laid out at least the uh, the, the the groundwork for uh, us getting some stuff on paper. So, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's put this on paper. I, I know attempts have been made before to work with him, but we haven't seen anything that's come out. So let's do some homework. And for those of you listening that think you're going to steal BJ and I's idea, uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck. But uh, this was great today, my friend. Good to dig in. Lots happening in and out of the bubble. And, uh, you know, I, I miss uh, I, I miss being dropped off at your office waiting for you in the lobby to uh, to do a show, a show in person. We'll be it's back in long. no time. I feel it's coming back. I feel it's coming I back. So. Right? We're sending the positive vibes out here. Definitely, definitely. So we will be back next week. Uh, hopefully, we'll still be in finals mode. We'll see what Miami can uh, come up with here despite uh, these injuries and the Lakers on a roll. So time will tell. But I hope uh, everybody has a, uh, a healthy and safe weekend. Special thanks, as always, to producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip and the entire Pure Hoops media team. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday. John Fanta talks college basketball every Tuesday with Full Court Press. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Monica McNutt, King McClure bring you buckets, boards, and blocks Thursdays. And Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Please check out all of our shows. Subscribe, download, rate, review. Share them with your crew. Most of all, enjoy. We'll see you next week on the Pure Hoops Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay pure. Peace. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.